0: You are listening to the Bethel Church Sermon Podcast, a ministry of Bethel Church in Yale, South Dakota. Good morning. It's a pleasure to be here with you uh, in South Dakota. Uh, We are from Florida, and uh, so we were actually hoping for a little cooler weather. Uh, I'm sure y'all are pleased for the relief, Uh, but when I left, when I worked on Thursday, I was... uh, Pretty much sweating to death at 88 degrees. And uh, I know that may look encouraging to you, but when you get that all year round, uh, most of the year, uh, you like the cool respites uh, that that you get. So uh, it's a joy to be here. I will answer questions after if anybody does want to speak to us. I will, however, not speak uh, to anything that may have occurred, uh, not in a classroom setting in college, Uh, so just don't ask. Uh, It's better not to incriminate yourself uh, now, even though the statute of limitations has probably expired on anything that may have occurred, uh, to which I will not speak, Uh, so vague generalities there uh, is a safe way to go. Um, My name is Chris. Uh, My last name is Bishop. My wife is here with me, uh, and we are thrilled to be here. Her name is Tasha. We've been married for 19 years, and uh, she probably deserves a hand for that, uh, by the way, for putting up with me. Um, So... uh, She was in high school when we met. We met, it had to be a God thing because I wasn't from her town, she wasn't from mine. It was just this random thing that happened. And uh, she was there, I was there, and and God really uh, placed us together. Uh, We currently live in the city of Wachula, Florida. And I know that doesn't really speak anything to most of you. Uh, We are south of Lakeland, Florida, if you're familiar with that. If not, we're 90 minutes from Mickey Mouse, uh, just south. So most of us know where that's at. We have, and I think I am in control uh, of this, perhaps, perhaps, no I'm not, so they'll figure out the technical stuff, I'm not good at that either, Um, okay, so here's us, Uh, this is the rest of our crew, Uh, we do have six children, and... uh, I've heard everything you could possibly say uh, about having six kids that close together, so feel free uh, if you want to. Uh, But our oldest is Jonathan, he's in the middle. Uh, Let me see, I've got another picture too that may be better. But anyway, our oldest is Jonathan, he's in the middle. Uh, He is 14 years old. We have twin girls uh, 15 months later. Uh, Caitlin in the ski hat. This is at Epcot in Florida, it was actually cold that day. Uh, So that's why we're all in in long sleeves. Uh, Her twin sister is Catherine. She's the blonde hair with pigtails uh, to Caitlin's left. Our fourth child was Lydia. We had her 13 months after we had twin girls. That would be four kids, three and under, all in diapers, all in car seats. Um, I don't remember much of those years. Uh, It went by really quick, it it was busy. Um, We moved to Wachula shortly after Lydia's birth. And that's where we've been for the last 11 years. Uh, right after we moved to Wachula, about a year, year and a half, we had Morgan Mae Bishop. She's the youngest girl in front. And then about a year or so after, year and a half after Morgan's birth, we had our final uh, child, Alexander. Uh, God always, somebody always said God would let you know when you were done. Um, Alex would be our, our tail end. He was born in 26 minutes start to finish. And we live an hour from the closest hospital that could have delivered him. Uh, He was stuck at the shoulders, and so it was just a God thing. We had an appointment for an induction that never actually happened because we just gave birth. So that's how our story came to be. That's kind of how we ended at six. And uh, so so that's our brood. It's a a fun, active uh, lifestyle uh, for sure. Uh, They definitely keep you on your toes. Um, We own a small family kind of cleaning business Um, and I do handyman work. Uh, I was a senior pastor of a church for almost 11 years, 10 full years living in Wachula and God called us away from that ministry through a variety of circumstances and so we began a ministry. This is our crew, maybe you see them a little better. Um, You can go to the next slide if you want if my clicker doesn't work. Uh, and so we began a ministry called Harmony Fellowship It's uh, near and dear to our hearts our, My mentor and pastor, uh, Mr. Raymond O'Quinn um, Just one of those guys You know, I picture Mr. Raymond Like there's God and there's Jesus like sitting on the throne And then there's like Mr. Raymond like up there Like he's just one of those men in your life uh, That are just perfect role models Men of God And so uh, he has a church in Graceville called Harmony Baptist Mission, and so they are our sponsoring church. So we were able to immediately leave our ministry with no job and no ministry to go to and continue what we've been doing in the city in which we live. And so Harmony Fellowship is the daughter church uh, that they sponsor for us, and it allows us to do what we do and continue what we do. And here it is. This is what we do. Did, Did you get it working? No. Okay. I may just bail out on that. So next slide. I don't know what order these are in because we just kind of threw them in this morning. Uh, keep going. So these are kind of our core values of our fellowship. After being in ministry for about 20 years, I served as an interim pastor, served as a full-time pastor. I've preached in uh, hundred different places, churches uh, over my life. Um, these, are, these are what we stand for. you have to go back to the, the first one. You're moving pretty good. Okay, a place of grace. Um, you know, one of the things that I always struggled with in church is sometimes um, sometimes when somebody has a need, we're not always the first people. Sometimes we criticize before we get involved and we compliment. And so we wanted our, our Bible study, our place, uh, to just be a place of grace that, that's open to anyone for any issues, any problems, that they could just stand up in our living room and say, you know what, I'm struggling with this addiction and everybody would be okay with that. And, and, and I think that's what, that's what community and church is supposed to be. The next one is create community. Uh, by doing that, what you've done is create the community that I think is set forth in Acts 2. Uh, and so you have that community where everybody gathers around you, no matter what is going on. And, and we wanted it to be a place where you could be not even affiliated with us, not even know us, but show up and have that community. And well, that's not in my notes. So, uh, Oh, there we go. You can go to the next slide if you're, uh, got it going. Uh, one of the things about our community in particular, and I did have an opportunity uh, to visit your community yesterday, and they, they kind of drove me around and showed me Huron. Um, I, 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 I got my picture taken with the world's largest pheasant, by the way. Just saying, that was, was an awesome time. Uh, was really, I'm really proud of that. Um, is that your community is very diverse, and it's, and it's probably getting more so that way. Our community in Huachula is 75% Hispanic. Uh, we also live in a, we actually do ministry in a little community called Zolfo Springs just south of Huachula, and uh, two, 75% Hispanic, uh, which means I'm the minority. And, and so we celebrate the diversity of what God has done in our community. And we want that to be just a key focal point of who we are and what we do. What, what's the next one? I don't know if I have these in order. Memorized. Um, We also want our community, our fellowship, to not be so much of an organization but more of a living organism. Something that can ebb and flow with whatever needs to be done. Uh, One of the things that I found just in traditional existing structured ministry is that sometimes to do something for somebody, you had to jump through so many hoops, make so many phone calls, that by the time you got to the, the need, it was already met. And so we just wanted something flexible that says, you know what, we can just do this and, and, and be able to, to just meet needs of people that uh, have needs. Uh, what's the next one? Transparency. Um, you can come to our fellowship, open up our financial statements, see it anytime. Uh, my checkbook's that way. You wanna see how I spend my money? That's just who I am. Because I think by doing that, we not only help each other, but we help especially younger couples who we're trying to disciple and trying to mentor to say, you know what, by you seeing me, not only does it give me accountability, it also says, where do you see that that I can help you, especially when it comes to finances and things and how I live my life. And so you can walk in my house and who I am is who I am. I'm usually in shorts and my Adidas and I dress pretty much like this any other day of the week, except my clothes will have paint on them uh, rather than the, the clean ones uh, that I'm wearing in front of you. So, so that's just that's who we are. So you get what you get. If you don't like it, that's fine. Don't invite me back. I'm, I'm okay with that. That's, that's just who we are. And we want to make sure that we express joy in our journey because that's what it is. I, I meet so many believers that just kind of look like... <coughs> They'd rather be somewhere else than in worship. They'd rather be somewhere somewhere else than the place where God has them. In every place you are, God has you there. If you're broke down on the road with a, you know, a flat tire, I've been there, God has you there. There's a purpose in everything He does for us and everything He does with us. And I just want people to know that, well, let's have joy in wherever it is that we are, even though sometimes it's pretty rough, isn't it? It can, it can get tough. And so join our journey. What's the next one? Sincere service. We want people plugged in. Our our big goal is to get you involved in something that God has called you to. Whether that's something we're doing or something God's called you to that we can help you figure out how to make that happen. Uh, And so that's our next goal. What's what's the next slide say? I think it goes to. uh, So how do we measure success? That's hard in a church, isn't it? sometimes you get asked that as a staff person at a church and it's like how do you measure the fact that you can't tell anybody that two families came to you this month and their marriages were falling apart and you're counseling with them and they've been restored right and things are going on in their lives and God's how do you measure that because you can't even tell anybody right that that happens so how do we measure? So this is how we measure success. One is 80% of everything that comes into our ministry because we are not dependent upon that for a paycheck goes out the door. So we probably, I don't know, I don't even know if she could tell you what comes in every month, 80% out the door, period. We, we, just, we just don't want money. We want to give it and help and serve in the community uh, in the ministries that we do. Uh, so 40% of that goes to foreign missions, 40% goes to local missions, and then 20% uh, does buy some things that we just need for the ministry paper, uh, things we do for our homework ministry, and so forth. Uh, And then we want to encourage 80% of our group to be serving somewhere, and 30% to get to that level of personal giving. which, which I think is really the kind of the biblical model based on some Old Testament calculations uh, and the Leviticus model and all the things that God has done instituting the Sabbath and so forth. Uh, so we're trying to get people and encourage them to get to that point uh, in their ministry and their lives as well. Uh, so these are the main ministries we're involved in. We do a weekly Bible study and fellowship. Uh, we do that online. Uh, so you can see it on Facebook Live. We host it in our home or in anybody's home. It's kind of the neat thing to being a living organism. So I can come to your house and do a Bible study. And so we're not tied to one particular location. We can kind of go wherever. So sometimes that's the easiest way to get to know lost people is by getting in, letting them host us in their home. And sometimes they're open to that. Or they'll go to somebody's home where they might not come necessarily to a structure, you know, like we're sitting in this morning. Um, The first thing that we do every week is a, a ministry. We call it His Kids at the Fifth Street Park. Uh, we determined a few years ago under God's direction that there was a huge need in our community, particularly for homework help. We have a lot of first-generation Hispanic kids that grow up in a Spanish-only home. They go to school, some of you who are teachers will understand this, and all of a sudden you have to teach them English or they move in as a migrant worker and they're only here for three or four months or maybe six months and they're in third grade but they haven't ever spoke Spanish or, or English ever. And, and so you, the, the teachers, it's hard on them. And so we just, we just do everything we can to help them learn, help them uh, teach it to their parents. Uh, and so it's just an awesome opportunity to have a presence in their lives and in their home. And that has led to a multitude of gospel opportunities and growth in people and discipling process. And then we are fully committed uh, to my father's house, uh, La Casa de Me Padre, in Higolpa, Nicaragua. And so you'll hear a little bit more about them. I think I have a picture uh, of that ministry that may be after this slide. Oh, I have control now? I think so. Think so. Hot dog I do uh, there's some other ministries I'm just gonna let that go uh, but these are our missionaries that we fully fund uh, our family uh, their daily needs and then there's uh, several other people in ministries that that help them with like needs in the ministry uh, this is Jeffrey Marcella and their son Nathan. And uh, we met her uh, on a mission trip. She was one of our translators. We really connected. We started going to her town where gringos don't go because there's just not a lot there. It's kind of off the beaten path. And it's a, it's a cow town. It's a ranching community. Uh, it's, it's a lot like Wachula. Uh, that's what we do. It's oranges, watermelons, strawberries, and cows. And uh, we just, it's just a really awesome place with a lot of needs. Uh, that need to be met. And so we go on mission trips there every year. We support them there year round in what they do. And we now are available to whoever wants to go to take people on mission trips whenever you can go, which is kind of a really neat thing that God has opened up a door for. So you know most mission trips, you got to plan them a year in advance, kind of this is the date, you might already have something going on, you can't go. Ours is structured such that if you're available the second week in October, just call us we can get you there. And so that's really neat. And we have a few families interested in that. Um, so that's a nutshell of who we are. I told cold, I said, I really don't like to talk about myself a lot or what we do, uh, because that's not what this time is about, but this is how God is moving in our lives and what he is doing. So if you want to know more, if there's any way, uh, I can help you, uh, get involved in anything, uh, ministry in any way. I'm just at your disposal while I'm here, if I'm not here, whatever. Um, We just love to see people serving because when you're in that capacity, God really begins to move in your heart and in your life and it really changes your family. Uh, We've taken all our kids on every mission trip we've ever gone on. We started taking our kids overseas when our youngest was three. He's now eight and we've been like six times. Uh, We took him to North Carolina when he was... uh, Todd, six months. He was little. And uh, we took him to inner city Montgomery when he was a year and a half, uh, sweated to death in the summer doing inner city ministry. And so that's that's just who we are. Uh, You can take six kids to Nicaragua and survive. So if you have less than me, sign up. Let's go. Go somewhere. uh, Serve God, because that's his calling on our lives. Um, So I'm here to speak to you. Our key verse, kind of when we started... um, Harmony Fellowship was Romans 623. The wages of sin is death, but the gift of God is eternal life. And I walk around Zolfo Springs, and I, I coach soccer, and so God kind of put this city on our heart a uh, few years ago, and I went down and rode around with a deputy, and you know, I just I asked the deputy, I said, where are the needs, what are the needs, who are the people? Because the cops know, right? know. And so they showed me all the drug houses, all, all the places where there's, just, where there's just needs, everything. And so we, we began doing backyard Bible clubs once a month. It morphed into us discovering they needed homework help. It, began, and it became an every week thing. Uh, we, we've done that for a long time. The church I was at really never got behind it wholeheartedly where they were like vested in it. So it's always just kind of been our, our thing. But God has really moved uh, in that. And so uh, one of my sons plays soccer and was really interested in soccer when he was just a, a little thing. So I got involved in soccer and I coached soccer at the high school and the junior high level. And in that, we started coaching soccer and, and Hispanic kids love soccer, right? That's like their national pastime. For us, it's baseball or American football. And uh, so I started taking them with me to go play soccer, right? we pay for their registration fees, all that kind of stuff, or they donate it through the YMCA. And, then I started coaching at high school and all their cousins, nephews, brothers were related to all the kids who I already knew. So I had no idea. It's just, it's just, that's just how God works. And so all these connections began to just, just, just fall into place. And what's real interesting about our ministry is we are not the Spanish speakers. My wife is much more able than I am. She's much better at language. But we're not the Spanish speakers. I know a dozen people that are fluent. And God gave us the Spanish ministry. I don't get that, but God does those things. Hey, I, can't, I can't put my thumb on it. It does not make sense to me, but it is what he has done. And so now, this is who we are and what we do. Uh, we homeschool our kids, so now we kind of juggle jobs. Uh, my wife does work uh, outside the home, part-time, and uh, we're just trying to figure it out as we go uh, and enjoy life. And so when I, when I walk around Zolfo, when, I, when we're down at the park, when I'm on the soccer field, I see dead people. Has anybody ever seen that movie? It's like from a line from a movie, right? There's a little kid. I don't even know what the movie is. But he says, I see dead people. So do I. I see them everywhere I go because they are without life in Christ. And that makes them dead, right? Okay. Thank you. The lights are really bright up here, so like you're going to have to make like some kind of motion like this is yes, you know, and this is no. Okay? Or respond verbally cuz like I said, you're either really bright or the lights are really bright. I'm not sure. People are dead without Christ, right? They are. And and, and so that's the the simple message of the gospel and that's a simple message of the ministry in which we attempt to do through God's grace in where we're at. And so I couldn't think of a better passage uh, than Ezekiel 37. um, When you think of death to life and, and what God wants to do in the life of his church, in the life of individuals and in your life. And so I know uh, you guys have been in Romans. I know you have covered Romans 6.23. Um, I didn't want to be compared to Colt, and Colt probably doesn't want to be compared to me, so I opted to go to Ezekiel 37 for this beautiful description of how God brings life out of death. I also listen to the podcast from here quite often. Uh, A lot of times you're my Monday morning or or Tuesday morning sermons as I'm working and doing my job. And so I know you are used to this. So we're gonna stand in honor of the reading of God's word. Um, And then we're gonna pray and we're gonna ask God to just bless his word in this moment. Because there is nothing, there's no moment. There's no moment more crucial than when you're Declaring the word of God to anybody, whether it's in this setting or in your own life. So here's what Ezekiel 37 says. I did not clear this with Colt, but I, do, I am reading from the New International Version. Okay, Sorry about that. That's a lot of times it's the easiest one to translate into another language. Um, the hand of the Lord was upon me, and he brought me out by the spirit of the Lord, and he set me in the middle of a valley And it was full of bones. And he led me back and forth among them. And I saw a great many bones on the floor of the valley. Bones that were very dry. And God asked me, son of man, can these bones live? And I said, sovereign Lord, only you know. Then the Lord said to me, Prophecy to these bones and and say to them, Dry bones, hear the word of the Lord. This is what the sovereign Lord says to these bones. I will make breath enter you, and you will come to life. And I will attach tendons to you and make flesh come upon you and cover you with skin. And I will put breath into you and you will come to life. And then you will know that I am the Lord. So I prophesied as I was commanded. And as I was prophesying, there was a noise, a a rattling sound, and the bones, they came together, bone to bone. And I looked, and tendons and flesh appeared on them, and sin covered them, but there was no breath in them. Then he said to me, prophecy to the breath. Prophecy, son of man, and say to it, This is what the sovereign Lord says. Come from the four winds, O breath, and breathe into the slain that they may live. So I prophesied as he commanded me, and breath entered them, and they came to life, and they stood upon their feet a vast army. And then God said to me, Son of man, these bones are the whole house of Israel. They say our bones are dried up, and our hope are gone, and we are cut off. Therefore, prophecy and say to them, this is what the sovereign Lord says. Oh, my people, I am going to open your graves and I'm going to bring you up from them. I will bring you back to the land of Israel. And then you, you, my people, will know that I am the Lord when I open your graves and bring you up from them. I will put my spirit in you and you will live. I will settle you in your own land then you will know that I, the Lord, have spoken and I have done this, declares the Lord. Let's pray together. Father, you, you are the one who can bring life from death. So God, our prayer this morning is not that a good sermon is preached, but that you bring life from death. That you so move in our lives that we will answer the call to go out and to prophecy to the death around us, to the walking dead who need to hear the word of the Lord. God, we thank you. God, I thank you that someone declared your word to my dead body and that you brought life through them to me. Thank you for your grace. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. So Ezekiel 37 lands us about 580 B.C. If you're familiar with your Old Testament history, it was about 586 B.C. when Jerusalem fell, right? Nebuchadnezzar came from Babylon. They sieged the city. It was not the first siege, right? In fact, it was the third siege. They sieged the city for the third time. They killed the king who was the current king. I don't even remember at this point. Jehoiad, one of them weird you know, Jewish names. And the last thing they, he, he gets to see is his family being killed and the city being burned because they gouge his eyes out. So that's his memory that's etched in his mind on his way back to Babylon. The Babylon captivity is now in full force. The Jews are forced to assimilate They probably began losing a little bit of their culture, right? Anytime you move to another place, you take on a few things, you lose a few things about you. They are in captivity. Daniel and Ezekiel are both in captivity. Jeremiah and Habakkuk are likely still in Judah, in Jerusalem, in the surrounding area of Israel, even though there's not much left of the nation, And Ezekiel was probably hearing people in Babylon say that all hope was lost, right? We're going to rot in captivity. Jeremiah pens a letter. He gets a word from God. He sends a letter about the 70 years of captivity. And it seems that when we are in these situations, the human tendency is to look at the negative. Even when things are positive, A lot of people are pessimistic by nature, right? There's not a lot of people, and I like meeting optimistic people, but not a lot of people are optimistic by nature. But when things are difficult, it's even worse. And we begin to look at things in this negative sense. But when we are a child of God, when we trust in the sovereignty of God, as you have learned about through Romans 8 and 9, when you trust in the plan that he has for you, that there's no reason to be negative about anything, is there? Right? That, that's our sin creeping in. That, that's us looking in the mirror and seeing ourselves instead of looking through the glass to see God. And so what we find is that these Israelites are in a very desperate situation. And we find that Ezekiel has this real experience that brought him to a valley Where there were, he says, full of bones, a great many bones on the on the ground on the floor of the valley, and that they were very dry; they they were brittle as dust. Most likely, now I I think God actually took Ezekiel from wherever he was in Babylon and moved him to this valley, and he's standing there back in Israel, right now. I don't know if you know the journey from Jerusalem to Babylon, but. You know, by car, it'll probably take you a day or two. By foot, in captivity, marching hundreds of thousands of people that direction takes a little time. And now he's teleported. Science fiction did not come up with teleportation, by the way. God did. It also occurs in Acts 8, right, Philip? It's teleported somehow. God figures this out and does this. And, And here he is in this valley where a great many people have died. Mass death. Now, here's what likely occurred and why there were so many dry bones. It was probably in a valley where a battle had taken place, right? The Babylonians were marching to Jerusalem. Israelites would have known that. They would have sent everybody they had left to go out and to meet them. And usually the battles take place in valleys, don't they? Both armies would amass on hills. This is standard military strategy. They would go out and battle each other. And the Babylonians won by a landslide. And thousands upon thousands upon thousands of Jewish soldiers, husbands, fathers, sons are dead in the valley. And their bones are still there because the Babylonians have had enough. The Jewish sinfulness that that God was judging them for, he was using the Babylonians to do this, The Babylonians had enough. They'd already sieged the city twice. They'd already removed and put rulers in place that were supposed to listen to them. They didn't. They didn't heed the words of Jeremiah. They didn't heed the words of any of the prophets. And so the Babylonians make a statement here. It's kind of like the atom bomb that we dropped on Japan. They're making a statement. And so they didn't let any of the dead bury the dead. They didn't let anybody back in the valley. They left all the dead bodies there to rot. Because when they were going to bring the people out and take them into captivity and make slaves out of them, they wanted them to walk past that valley and look into that valley and say, we own you. And in case you don't know, that is exactly what the enemy does to us. He will put somebody in the valley, he will make it look bleak, he will make it look grim, and he will say, I own you. And there's no way out. This valley is a representation, it is descriptive of the people's situation within their sin. It was barren, it was dry, they were without hope. This was a low ebb for Israel. They had just come off like David's reign and Solomon's reign, it fell apart immediately and they are back in the low. And they're looking around and there's nothing that they can put hope in. And that's what it is when you're separated from Christ. But this is the situation. And I think this is important for us to understand because you and I were there. We cannot allow this. I just wanted to make sure I muted my phone. I didn't even think about it. Thank you. This is the situation we were in. And all too often, like, we get distanced from that. Right? Because we just go on with our life. Like life gets normal and it gets in routine. And I do the kids thing and I I get up and I go to work and I come home and and I spend time with them. And even if we're doing ministry or we're coming to church, we get distanced from the fact that we were dead. Christ had to die for us. And we begin to just almost let that be secondary when this has to be the most primary thing on our, on our mind every moment of every day with this intense urgency that we have to have. And so the Lord comes to Ezekiel, plants him here, and he asks him a question. And he says, can they live? Can these bones live? Now, to be honest with you, if he asked that of most of us, what would we say? No way, right? I have done enough funerals in my ministry, too many, to know dead things don't live. And these were not just dead, they were deader than dead, right? That battle took place like six years before this. The bones were dry, there was no flesh left on them, no tendons. The bones had just been laying there, and if bones lay in one place for a long time and all that flesh rots away, now they're separated from each other. If you walk past them, what would happen? Just crumble. Dry, arid climate. There would be, if you touch them, they would turn to dust. Little side note right here. God created us from dust, right? See, there's no place. There's no place that's that hopeless. And so Ezekiel responds to him. I love his response. Probably don't get it right in our context and the way we translate things. He said, Oh, sovereign Lord, you alone know. He's not. Kind of sounds like it's like the preacher answer, right? When you don't have the answer. You know, you give like the pass the buck. You know, I got to go home and figure this out. You know, there's got to be a scripture somewhere. I got to call somebody. He's not passing the buck. Here's Here's what he's saying. He said, I can't do anything, but you can. God, you know. And in that, he's saying, you know, what do I need to do? So a lot of times we'll look out in our community in Huron with all those people groups. And we'll say, We'll pass the buck instead of saying with faith, God, you know, how are you going to use me? What are you going to do with me? Because we've lost our urgency. And so Ezekiel says, tell me about it and I'll obey. And so we see that faith sees these possibilities even when there's nothing but death. And so Ezekiel looked out and he said, you know, I I know I couldn't do anything, but you can. And so the sovereign Lord, he says to Ezekiel, prophecy to these bones. Prophecy means to speak a divine word. And we have a whole book of divine words. Like we ain't got to go make nothing up, right? All we have to do is recite what's here. All we have to do is, is hopefully know this well enough or be able to find things quick enough to just say, let me, let me tell you about this passage. Uh, let me teach you what, what Jesus said. I know there's like a thousand programs out there for like evangelism training, but just get to know somebody, share your story, tell them about the words of God. Like that's it. It's, it's, I don't know if I can market that and then a three point like quick progress. Problem is it would only take me five minutes to say and then I'd leave. Because that's really all there is to it. It's just having the urgency and the desire that you were dead and now you're alive to see someone else experience that same thing. And Ezekiel's told to preach prophecy to these bones. Now, I I have preached in some tough audiences. That's a tough audience, all right? They're not gonna laugh. They're not gonna get a joke. They're not gonna respond. I mean, See, you can say things when you're not, at your, you're not in your own place. It's funny being a preacher sometimes because you can see when people like, aren't paying attention. I mean, I've seen this. I you know, kind of start nodding off and I've seen like wives poking husbands, you know, kids acting up and like, you know, because that was me in church, you know, the whole, like I didn't know my ear. You know you can pull a kid three pews just by their ear? Yeah. This is a tough audience. Like they're dead. Ain't nobody gonna hear. I would be like God saying, okay, today we're going out to that cemetery and we're preaching to the ground. It's a bunch of dry bones. The thing is, that is what is in your town. That is what is in the next house next to you, the, the next house down the pasture, the next house in your neighborhood. They're already dead. God says, give them my words. Tell them the gospel. And so Ezekiel does. Now there was nobody out there to criticize him. I don't know what he'd have done if there would have been others around, but he just does it, right? And he starts proclaiming to the dry bones. And he says to them, as I was prophesying, There was a noise. Now this has got to be just a little bit unnerving. Because this is pre-science fiction movies, right? Like, let me just make a statement here. I don't believe in zombies. They don't exist, except here. Right? Because the zombies, and, and anyway, I get into this debate with teenagers all the time. Like, they don't exist, buddy. It's okay. He prophesies to them. They start rattling. They start coming together. I would be freaking out. Because that's unusual. The noise, the rattling sound, the bones come together, bone to bone, tendons and flesh start appearing on them. But there was no breath. So picture this. All of a sudden, they've all come to life. They're laying there. They're all full bodies again. Ezekiel may even recognize who they are. And they have no breath in them. When you have no breath, guess what? You have no life. Doesn't matter how put together you are, how well your body is, how well they preserve you after your funeral, you know, the whole embalm thing. Like they don't do that in most countries. So we look normal, right? In Nicaragua, you die, 24 hours later, you're in the ground. There's, there, there's no preservation. In fact, you can go to the graveyard and if somebody's been embalmed 20 years later, they will look pretty close to the way they were when you put them in. It's kind of freaky, isn't it? I hang out in funeral homes, so you learn stuff. Sorry. And now he's there. He's just among a whole bunch of dead people with no breath. And he says, prophesy to the breath. He says, if I'm understanding this right, breath, it's the same word we have for spirit. It's the Hebrew word ruha, He says, prophecy to the wind, to the breath, to the spirit. Preach. I think he's saying, ask me, God, because God is the the spirit, right? Who can give life. Prophecy, son of man, and say that this is what I say. Come from the four winds and breathe into these slain, those who were killed, that they may live. And so he does. And they came to life. Now, if you'll jump back to Genesis real quick, you'll remember that we were created out of dust. We laid there lifeless until God did what? Breathed life into us. Prophecy to the breath. He does what happens. Breath entered them, and they came to life. And they stood upon their feet. That's usually a good sign of life, right? That not only can you breathe, you can stand. And they numbered like a vast army. Just like in creation, God began with flesh and he breathed life into them. But here's where we have to be careful. We have to be careful that we do not, I must have bumped it twice, that we do not mistake functionality for spiritual life. It's kind of what our Sunday school lesson was about in the class that Colt's teaching. There are a lot of people who function as a human, but they are dead. They are not alive spiritually. There are a lot of Christians who function, who call themselves Christians and function in life but they are not spirit-filled. And they have mistaken functionality for spirituality. You guys know this because you're familiar with the insanity of God. You're probably one of the few congregations I've ever met that would be. Congratulations to you. The church in China, right, they don't even consider you for membership until you're an active discipler of your faith. Right, Because you're putting your faith on the line, you're putting your life on the line in that setting. I wouldn't be considered a pastor there because I haven't gone through prison and endured what they had to endure if I was a native of China. Because that's what it takes. Because there's a, a real commitment and, and, and I don't get that because I'm American. And to be perfectly honest with you, Christianity doesn't cost me Anything. I can come here every Sunday. It wouldn't cost me a dime. The treasurer might know if I don't write a check, but if I gave cash, nobody would ever know, right? They wouldn't know if I gave. They wouldn't know anything except the fact that I'm here. And so many mistake that for life. This year in Nicaragua, I had this awesome privilege of baptizing six kids through the ministry which Jeffrey Amari was six, right? That Jeffrey and Marcel are in. And two of those kids... Two of those kids went through the Operation Christmas Child gift thing. They went through the whole discipleship thing. If you guys are familiar with Samaritan's Purse and what they do through OCC. And they went through the discipleship program. Marcel and Jeffrey had been discipling them for years. They were believers, and I'll tell you what, they went through a whole lot more than I did when the pastor asked me if I was sincere. I said yes. He said, Stand down front. We'll admit you to membership and baptize you next week. Right? That was it. They, they went, they've watched them, they've, they've looked at their life, they've looked at their, their faith in action, how they act not only in Bible club, but at school and in the community, who they are. And these two kids went down to the river with us because we took them because this was such a big time in their life and they don't get a lot of big times. They don't, they don't get the things that we get. They don't have the things that we have. So we take them all to this beautiful park that God's created with a waterfall on both sides. It's, it's so awesome almost can't hear yourself because of the running water. And when we get there, Maricela tells us like, their parents didn't want them to come. When they go home, we don't know what will happen to them. These are 12-year-old boys that put more faith in action that moment than possibly I have done in my whole life. We cannot mistake functionality for spiritual life. We can't. We can't let it happen in our lives or those around us. It's okay to ask the question. So Ezekiel prophesied they stood on their feet. There was a vast army that he was looking at. And it's because of this divine infusion spiritual life from the breath of God. See, they're not alive until God's spirit fills them. You're not alive until God's spirit fills you. And you won't be the same. It will cause you to want to spend bulks of your money to help people regardless of what they may or may not do with it. It, it will encourage you and spark in you to, the, this, this thought that says, I need to go to their house. Because I know they've got a need. I need to meet that need. I will spend money to go overseas. Why? Because of God's Spirit. It's not because of me. Because me says, let's go to Disney more. We can drive there like every weekend. Why not? Right? Me says, let's do more for my family. But when the Spirit of God fills you, I believe this is what comes from that. Now, I don't think that again, we don't put stock in that. That's not where my salvation is grounded. But that is definitely the encouragement that I get because I know that this is not me. And then God says to him, Son of man, these bones are the whole house of Israel. They say, Our bones are dried up and our hope is gone and we are cut off. Okay, so now God is telling Ezekiel what the bones, what the people, what the army is thinking. Hey, now, this is just me. I was the dry bones, right? I'm dead. All of a sudden I have life. Six years later, I know I died in battle. I'm standing there. Do I have a mind of my own? I don't know what's going on. Their story is we are without hope because we know we were just destroyed. I don't know what you think after you've been dead eight years, six years, and then you come back to life. I don't know. I don't, don't think there's a story around that can fill us into that. But here is what is going on. And this is what God says. My people, this is verse 12, I am going to open your graves and bring you up from them. I will bring you back to the land of Israel. You, my people, he says it a second time, will know that I am Lord. Twice I will open, you will know when I open your graves and bring you up from them. And I put my spirit in you, you will live, and I will settle you in the land. What does that mean? Now, if I get off base, Colt will correct me later. Or now, I don't care. If I'm wrong, let me know. If not, if he gets up here next week and you know, like silences the podcast so I don't know and says, don't listen to anything that dude said, don't. Okay, take his word for it. There's this passage in Matthew 27, verse 52 that's always been like, why is this here? Like, like I don't get it. I even asked our New Testament, I've asked every New Testament scholar I've ever met, okay, well, I got a question for you. Here's the passage, Matthew 27, 52. The earth shook, this is right after Jesus died, okay, the curtain of the temple was torn in two, top to bottom, here's what happens. Most people just read over this and we we hadn't even thought about it. The earth shook, the tombs broke open, and the bodies of many holy people who had died were raised to life. They came out of the tombs after Jesus' resurrection. They went into the holy city and they appeared to many people. So my favorite thing is to go to a New Testament guy and say, please tell me what that passage means. Because the only thing I know that it means is people came out of the grave. They recognized who they were because they were holy people and they walked through Jerusalem. Right? Is that a literal good understanding of that passage? What did... What did God say would happen in Ezekiel 37? "I will bring you up from grave." A few days later, same passage. The women go to the tomb. What happens? The ground shakes, right? I just closed it. The ground shakes. They were terrified. And Jesus, the stones rolled away, the angel's there, and Jesus is coming out of the grave. He's telling Ezekiel, he's telling all of those Israelites there that were soldiers, that were dead, that are now alive, there's going to be a resurrection. There's going to be something that, that this symbolizes, that this is telling us, that, that this is going to be like history-altering Moment, More so than what just occurred here. Now, I don't know what, here's where my like inquisitive mind goes into action. What happened to all the thousand dead guys that are now alive, right? Was this like in the spirit? And uh, see, I think like he was transported. It was there and it happened. What happened to him? Where'd they go? They go back to Jerusalem. They decide to go to, I don't know. Like this is, if you figure it out, text me or email me, please. Like, Let me know, like I want to know. Like, like, What's going on? What happened? Are, are these the ones that they said, look, this is what's going to happen. The resurrection will occur. The Messiah will come. This is my example. Because if so, there was more than just a couple resurrections in the Old Testament, right? There was one mass. Regardless of what we think or what we may hypothesize may happen or have happened, Look at what verse 14 says. I will put my spirit in you, and you will live. The disciples go into hiding, right? They don't know what happened. Jesus appears to them, reassures them. They go out with him. He ascends into heaven. They go back to the upper room. They're praying. What happens? Acts 2. There's a sound. Like a mighty, rushing And the Holy Spirit fills them. And it's the catalyst for why you are here and here on South Dakota today. That is the catalyst. That was the Spirit of God that sparked in them the passion for the gospel, to go out and to proclaim what they had just 50 days earlier denied. And we're here because of that. We're here because every tribe and every tongue and every language heard that. And they heard it in their language and they began to carry the message of the gospel. And it is the same message of the gospel we carry today. So we can stand in front of somebody just like Paul in 1 Corinthians 15 and say, death, you have no sting. You're like a bumblebee with no stinger, right? All you are is an annoyance. Get away from me. Go away. So let me just share with you as we close a couple things that spoke to me out of this passage by way of application. The first one is this. We have to remember we are preaching to dry bones. They're dead. They're dead. They are without hope, without the hope that we bring them. And God has commissioned us to do that. Why he chooses to use me, I have no idea. But it's my calling. Every one of us has a calling to a person, to a family, to a people, to your neighborhood, to where you're at. If God hasn't called you away from where you live now to go somewhere else, and I'm assuming he hasn't because you're sitting here, then he's called you where you are. To reach the people to whom he has brought to you. Billy Graham said, since we stopped going to the nations, God began to bring the nations to us. Every community will change. Every community, demographically, is going to get more diverse. That is to our benefit. And it is to their benefit. Only God can raise the death to life. We are always preaching to dead bones. And we have to know that there is nothing we can say no matter how well you can articulate the gospel, no matter how well I can look at the text and say, you know what, this is what this Greek word means and that and that, that has no bearing. I can't raise the dead. Without the spirit of God, I could stand in that cemetery all day and preach to the tombstones and nothing would happen. It's God's spirit that must make it occur. And most of the time when we say, I don't know what to say to somebody, you're absolutely right. You don't know what to say. Would you just trust God? Because if he has put it in your mind or in your heart or both to talk to that person, then he wants you to say something. And and he will bring to your mind the things, the story, the, the, the text. As a pastor, I was totally unprepared for the problems in people's lives. I knew I had issues, right? That's a given. So does everybody else. And sometimes they unload on you and you won't have a clue what to say. But I have found that no matter where I go, if I'm kind to somebody and I speak to somebody and I even let them know that I care about them, they will usually unload on me. People at a gas station will keep you there for 20 or 30 minutes telling you their whole life story. They will tell you if we take the time to ask them. So here's what we do. When I coach soccer, I have to take every two years CPR class, right? So that if a kid goes down, I have the basic tools, till EMS gets there, to keep what in their body? This is a test, okay? Good, three of you passed, the rest of you have to stay after class, breath, right? I have never seen somebody pass out on the ground and be able to do CPR on themselves. If one of us don't do it, they will die. So we must act. You see, salvation is a miracle every single time. That you woke up and came here is a miracle. It is a gift and a blessing of God. Go out and act like you know what the miraculous looks like because you are. He brought you from death, dry bones rotting in a desert with nothing left into the life that you have in you. There is no better reason. There is nothing else that should inspire us more than that God loved us that much to make us like him and to intercede for you and me. I don't know how you normally close service. They usually cut off the recording about this time, I think. So uh, I don't really know what to do next, but I'm going to pray, Colt, be here. I don't know, I'm, I'm a Baptist, so we do like an invitation. We try to springboard you into the baptistry, whatever. I don't know how that works. Act a miracle. Like if you sit here and all you do is hear this message and you do nothing with it, that's hypocritical. There's a lot of people need you to act on the miracle that God has done in your life. Let's pray together. God, I thank you so much that you reached way down. Like you had to go so far down that you made yourself something that when Isaiah saw you, he couldn't describe that he just fell down on the floor and hit his eyes that the the angels that are not the pretty angels that we think of but are Animals with six wings, they couldn't even look at you. They hide their feet because you're so holy. That you came to this earth to be like me so that I would know what salvation is. So that you would atone for my sin and then offer me through your grace a free gift to take me from death into life. There is no greater story. There is nothing better that I could tell anybody than that. So God, help me act a miracle. Help me to be a person that when people see me and hear me, they hear and see what I am all about. Every aspect of who I am. God, I thank you for your gift to us. We pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen. Thank you for listening to this sermon resource from BethelMBChurch.org. If you'd like to learn more about Bethel Church or find other resources, please visit our website at BethelMBChurch.org. Bethel Church exists to bring glory to God by promoting the joyful worship of Jesus Christ both here and abroad.